Hello, and welcome to The Scriptures Are Real. I'm your host, Lamar Newmeyer, and this is my co-host and also regular host, Carrie Mielstein. Hi, Lamar. Hey, good to see you. It's a brand new year. Happy New Year. Yeah, thank you. Happy New Year. I'm so, so excited to be doing Book of Mormon with you this year. It's going to be a great year. Yes, we've gained a lot of new uh, subscribers, a lot of people listening on different platforms, and, and thank you for everybody who's listening on on Spotify or on Apple uh, Podcasts um, and, uh, of course, YouTube. Uh, thank you very all, much for joining us. All the different us. platforms. All the yeah. different platforms. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and if, you, if you're new to the podcast, uh, let us give you a little bit of information about it. This is our third year now. Uh, we're starting the third year of doing this podcast, right? Yep. Yep. We started with Old Testament and uh, and went through all the Old Testament. Well, I mean, we of course, we could have spent much more time on it, but we hit as much as we could. We're kind of going along the Come Follow Me. Our, our plan is not to uh, rehash the, the Come Follow Me or go piece by piece, but our, our objective in this podcast is to take elements of those things that you will see in the Come Follow Me program and talk about how they are real to us, how they're applicable to us now, and to understand that the people and the places that are talked about in these books of scripture are real places, real people. They dealt with real trouble and joys and happiness as well. So the idea is and to make so it really fun. applies to us, right? That, that way. So we'll do the deep dives on a few elements rather than right. cover all of it. We'll take a few real elements and deep dive on it. Exactly. So that's the 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 uh, the goal of this podcast is to really get in, in the deep in in some of the characters and people and how it makes it real to us. So uh, again, thank you for joining us. This whole new year will be the Book of Mormon. And uh, if you haven't heard our other ones, go back and listen. It's not just Carrie and I. Carrie and I talk several uh, different times there throughout the different uh, books. But Carrie has on lots of other uh, guests that he's had that have written books and have given presentations, are currently studying in Israel or have great amounts of knowledge in certain areas. And uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to those ones as well. They're they're very fascinating. I listen to all of them. I am. When I'm not on, I'm listening to what they're recording. So I uh, I love all this stuff. I'm a fan of the of the podcast as well. So, um, Carrie, anything you want to add to as as way of intro? Tell me about yourself. You tell us a little bit about where you are, are from and and what uh, how you came to be on this podcast. Yeah, I guess maybe uh, since we have a lot of listeners that uh, have joined since we began, uh, maybe some people don't know a lot about what uh, you and I do and. Um, I think we did a little intro of you uh, a few episodes ago, but I think we should learn a little bit more or we, hopefully we have new people joining as we start uh, Book of Mormon. So I'd, I'd love to uh, learn more about you as well. But maybe I can just tell a little bit of my story and why we're doing uh, this podcast. Uh, I, uh, I, I am a professor of ancient scripture at BYU. I uh, originally thought I was going to be a, a novelist or a PR person or something along those lines. Uh, but I fell in love with uh, uh, the scriptures and helping people really learn and understand the scriptures. And so I was going to be a seminary teacher. Uh, then I saw a teacher. I was taking an Old Testament class, and we had a, a guest teacher come in, someone who was just finishing a Ph.D. at the University of Chicago. And and uh, we were seeing BYU, seeing if they wanted to hire uh, this woman. And when I saw what she could do because she had taken the time to uh, learn a lot about the the ancient world, I thought, oh, I don't want to spend the rest of my life wishing that I'd done that. I I just need to do that. So oh, I, yeah. started, uh, I started uh, studying Hebrew and ancient Near Eastern studies. Uh, I ended up doing like seven years of Hebrew and 
a whole bunch of ancient studies. So I ended up getting a, a Hebrew minor. Then I did a master's at BYU and and basically biblical Hebrew and ancient Near Eastern studies. Um, and in the middle of that, uh, as I was really learning to understand these things, um, well, I went to study Hebrew in Jerusalem and the scriptures became so real to me. And I had some powerful moments where I thought, I, I mean, the, the, really the spirit testified, these are real people, real stories. And it, it, it was so impactful for me. I thought I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to help others have that experience, whether that be in the classroom or on sites or via podcast, which didn't exist at the time. So I didn't think of that then, but, um, or whatever writing or whatever else I want to help these become real. Part of that, I was figuring out that I, uh, as, as these people became real to me, I recognized that for them, a powerful way of communicating was through symbols and symbolic action. Uh, that, that was different than my own culture, but as they became real to me, I realized that's what uh, these people did. And I thought, well, if I'm going to understand the symbols, uh, no one does symbols like ancient Egypt. So I thought I'm going to you know, study oh, ancient yeah. Egypt for a while. And as I did that, I fell in love with ancient Egypt, uh, just absolutely fell in love with it. Um, I decided I wanted to go and study uh, and become an Egyptologist, but then there were some things happening at BYU, and I decided because I'd, I'd also learned to love researching, I got a job as a research assistant, and I fell in love with research, and I thought, well, I need to teach somewhere where I can both teach and research, and uh, if you're going to do that with the scriptures from an LDS point of view, there aren't uh, a lot of options, uh, right. and so I, I've ended up doing both, BYU Hawaii and BYU Provo, um, but um uh, I decided, okay, I'm going to do Egyptology. And then there were some things going on here where there had been some Egyptologists that applied and and then it turns out that they didn't really have a testimony of things. And there was kind of not much of an environment for hiring an Egyptologist. So I thought, well, I'd like to do Egyptology, but I, I guess I better not if I want this job. And I can still remember, uh, I was teaching by that time part-time here at BYU as an adjunct teacher while I was working on some uh, graduate degrees. And um, I can still remember when an associate dean ran into me uh, right by the elevator, I could go stand in the exact spot still. And uh, he said, uh, are you still interested in studying Egypt? And I said, well, I, I had been, but you know why I'm not doing it. And he said, well, we just got off the phone. He was, I think I just said he was an associate dean. We just got off the phone with two apostles. I've learned since that that was Elder Oaks and Elder Maxwell. But um, wow, he said, we just got off the phone with two apostles and they'd like for us to study or hire an Egyptologist. So we think <laughs> that that maybe you should go study that. And I can still remember just feeling like I, I felt like this weight that I didn't even know I was carrying was lifted off my shoulders. I almost felt like I could just feel it going through the ceiling on the third floor of the Joseph Smith building. Um, and I felt like I might float up through that floor. And that, <laughs> that was just what I needed to do. So I went and got a, a degree of my Ph.D. at UCLA in Egyptology with a secondary emphasis in Hebrew language and literature. And uh I've been pursuing this ever since. I direct an excavation in Egypt. I've taught at the Jerusalem Center a couple of times. I take tours and, and do studies in Egypt. I've gone there for different studies in Egypt and Israel. I do tours and studies in Israel as well. I've gone there with Egyptologists and Hebraists and archaeologists as we go around different places and try and figure out what's going on. And then I've done it with students. I've done it with family. I've done it with friends. Uh, and uh, so again, my my passion really is, and like uh, I teach at BYU now and and so on. So my passion is to help the scriptures become real to people so they can feel the power that comes when they can apply them in that way. Anyway, that's become my my passion uh, is to just help the scriptures become real and help people draw power out of them that way. Well, that is excellent. I didn't know the story about uh, about Elder Maxwell and Elder Oaks. That's an that's interesting uh, bit. And I, I kind of had a, 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 a not the same academic path, but the same 
Wait, you know, is- before you say that, I guess I just want to say something because yeah, I don't want ahead. to be misunderstood. I don't know. I'm not trying to say that that meant that Elder Maxwell and Elder Oaks had an inspiration that I needed to be this person and that they needed to hire me. I'm not implying that. Right. That their conversation is what prompted that associate dean to talk to me, and right. and that, but it did change the environment so that they were willing to look into Egyptologists and interested in looking into Egyptologists. So yeah, interesting because well, that's interesting because I, I had uh, I didn't know that we had anybody any real Egyptologists in the church as well, and my story is a little bit similar to yours in in the interest wise. I didn't go into the academic side of it like you did. But I did go, uh, I went through, uh, I was always fascinated with Egypt. I, I just loved anything to do with Egypt uh, all growing up. It, just just the, the, the symbols they had, the, the writing they had, how they could figure out angles and, and build these great buildings. I mean, I always had a fascination with that. And on my mission, I had a lot of things. I had a baptism by fire on a lot of things. I got a lot of people. Um, I, I went to on a mission in an area that was very um, filled with uh, anti-Mormon stuff. And so everyone wanted to test you on this and on that. And I, I had a good knowledge of this. I had, I had my brother and my dad were very uh, sharp in the gospel and had taught me a lot of stuff. But there was things that were coming up constantly that I couldn't answer. And I'm like, I don't know about that, but I'll, I'll look into it and I'll check it out. And, you know, you're trying to teach at the same time you search it. So I would spend many P days and whatever, you know, going through weird libraries and just studying stuff. And I got to be friends with a pastor on my mission uh, who... Um, who uh, actually two pastors, one was, was really good at each uh, in Hebrew and, and he was teaching me some basics and stuff. And anyway, I got with an Institute teacher also who was just fabulous. I, I've talked about him throughout our time together. Uh, Jim Carver. Uh, he's passed on unfortunately now, but he was a fascinating guy and he really helped guide me in a lot of things. And if I had a question, I'd say, brother Carver, what about this? And anyway, just fascinating. So I, when I got off my mission, I really wanted to study a lot of these things and get in deeper into some of them. And, uh, and including Egypt. And so um, what maybe whatever audience may not know, some of you may, because we've talked about it before, but uh, we were ward clerks together in a BYU ward mm-hmm. and got to know each other pretty well. And when you first uh, started going into your master's program, I took your first class that you were teaching. Yeah. And for soul. <laughs> no, it was good. It was a good class. And uh, I, that's one of the first papers I wrote uh, for your class is um, I wanted to tie in some stuff. And so uh, with Egypt, and there had been a recent um, excavation that had turned up some interesting finds. We'll talk about it some other time, but had some finds that had parallels with the LDS doctrines and gospel and so forth with the, with how we understand things. As I wanted to tie in that that those findings of um, of the, uh, the, 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 the new excavation that had happened that was in the National Geographic, I'm like, oh, this is great. And so I talked to you about it and you said, uh, you know, you should talk to us, Hugh Nibley. And I'm like, would I ever like to talk to Hugh Nibley? And he had a, uh, a nice section of the Harold B. Lee Library at the time that was a big section of the library on the fourth floor. And uh, I went over there and made an appointment with him. And uh, he was very gracious and met with me and talked to me. And I, I also, it helped that I knew his, uh, his granddaughter, Natalie. And I said, hey, I know Natalie too. Anyway, so... Um, he uh, he walked me around and and he was like a fire hose, like he always is, but just so much information. I was trying to figure out what he was talking about and where he was talking about and how to keep this track. And then I, I tried to write out as many notes as I could, but he was walking around his library and he'd grab a book and hand it to me and I'm a, and he'd pull out of this. And anyway, I just loved Egypt all that time and, and all this information. And so 
after I graduated, I went into business and doing all those things. And then you'd gone off to, uh, well, we, after I parted, we didn't see each other for a while. Yeah. I went then, to UCLA from there, but yeah. Yeah. And then UCLA, and then you were in over there in uh, Jerusalem a few different times. And, yeah, and then Hawaii. I, exactly. And I saw this uh, video of you talking about one of the things that we had, that I had talked about. And I was like, Oh, I got to get in touch. And so anyway, uh, after several years of not contacting, I, uh, we got in contact again and I said, Hey, can I bug you and ask you about these things? And by that time you'd finished a PhD in Egyptology and we're doing a, uh, uh, an excavation and I was very excited to do that. Anyway. So that's how we, uh, that's how I started. But during that time, while I w while you were off, you know, learning all these great things, I'd been a seminary teacher and I'd continued to study with a bunch of people and people would ask me questions all the time. Like, have you ever heard of this? And have you ever heard of this? And, and I tried to, do the the deep research that other people didn't have access to or didn't know existed or whatever and that's where i came from and and someday i'll tell you uh, uh well maybe i'll go through about how i uh worked through some really difficult questions from um from some uh some anti-mormons that were just crazy and anyway uh, that's that'll be a, a fun thing to talk about sometime uh maybe we'll do another one anyway and that's how to me lamar like we should put together a scriptures are real Egypt tour sometime. Oh yeah. Uh, so, you know, that. I've got this uh, website I'm starting Enlightened edge. Uh, uh, what is it? Enlightened edge edu where we're focusing on edifying uh, educational experiences. And I want tours to be part of those experiences. So keep uh, on that website, anyone who's listening and we'll announce it on here, but, and it'll have to be a few years cause I'm backed up for like about four or five years on tours, but um, we'll, we'll put together a scriptures are real, uh, a podcast tour uh, i'll be the first one to sometime. sign up on that <laughs> yeah, yeah well you and i'll host it it'll be fun that'll be great and i know that you've done some great work with uh with this year with or end of last year with saints unscripted and a few other people that are, are putting together good stuff and and i'd like to do that too i'd like to draw in a good or, or contribute to your efforts to drawing in other people that are working hard to uh to bring to light the dark things of the world not dark things of the world, but that's how the scriptures read it you know yeah. but things that we don't know much about or, or, you know, anyway, connecting the dots for people so that they can understand there are resources and there are people out there that, uh, that can help you answer questions. So just, it's easier to access people now. And so let's access that information and get that out. to people. So anyway, that's where Carrie and I come from. And, um, and it, we, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Carrie said, Hey, do you want to, to, uh, co-host a podcast with me? And I'm like, for sure. I mean, I I'm not near the, the uh, researcher that you have been or, or got the, uh, the degrees that you do, but I am an enthusiast in this and I do love the scriptures. So I'll be happy to contribute where I can. So that's how we came together uh, doing this podcast. And we hope it's, it's uh, something that you can get into that you can be excited about, that it makes the scriptures come alive and, and are real to you. And we'd love your feedback. We like, uh, we like the thumbs up and the likes and the clicks and the five stars and, and comments. So if you have questions, um, maybe we can, uh, answer some of those questions here live and, and, and work on different things that will be individual for people that will help other people as well, understand the scriptures better. So look us up for that. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for being a part of the, of the podcast and we hope to keep it growing and keep it going and growing. So be sure to like, and subscribe and all those good things that help us move that along. And we're cruising along here in the book of Mormon and you just talked to Noel Reynolds. And if you haven't heard that episode yet, um, you should probably listen to that one before this one, because it's going to be a nice lead into this one. Um, 
and we're going to talk about the similar themes because today on the podcast, we're going to talk about uh, Nephi's vision, which is also Lehi's vision. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But what you want to know about Noel Reynolds uh, and what he said was he said his um, his point was that Nephi chapter 10, 17 through 19, really is what he calls the theme of uh, the theme of Nephi. It talks about Nephi's uh, two sets of plates and and um, and how they all fit together. Carrie, tell tell us a little bit about what you talk about with Noel. Yeah, so just this idea that uh, Nephi is setting up that uh, those who uh, seek God can will find God through the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will help them reveal God to them. Uh, that the mysteries. So, for example, verse nineteen: He that diligently seeketh shall find, and the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto them by the power of the Holy Ghost. Uh, and that's really uh, Noel suggested, and you can see it play out. That that's the theme throughout all of these uh, the plates of Nephi, the the small plates, right? So, uh, this notion that if we're seeking, we'll find them, and those who don't won't, right? So we've seen it with Laman and Lemuel. We'll see it with them after this vision in chapter fifteen. Uh, which is part of this week's reading assignment, where they say, uh, he says, did you ask God? And they said, no, he didn't make anything known unto us. So why should right. we ask him, right? That's that's the continuation of this theme, that Nephi is having this because he does, he asks and believes it will happen, and Laman and Lemuel don't, and, and that that contrast is applicable to everyone everywhere. Excellent. So, and I think that is, and and one of your other guests, was it, was it Noel or was it... Um... Might have been Mike Goodman. It was Mike Goodman who said this. He said, we don't think that the Book of Mormon is magical or anything like that. It's just that if we read it, there's things in there that is for us. And I want to touch on that again also. You should that's um that's this year also, episode or uh, season three, which is yeah, episode course, two. It's our second episode, episode for the year. Yeah. Yeah. And he says um that it's not magical, but there's things in there that if you read the Book of Mormon with real intent, it will help you because it's made for our day. And I wanted to focus on that for just a second, which is we don't think that the Book of Mormon replaces other scripture. It's not better, like, you know, what's better than the words of Christ or the parables of Christ? There's nothing better than that. We know that, but that's not what we're saying. But the Book of Mormon was specially prepared. From the very beginning, Nephi says, I saw your day, uh, and he sees this, and that goes all the way through to the end where uh, where Moroni says the same thing. Uh, we've seen you, my father and I have seen your day and we know you're doing. So the Book of Mormon has been curated for our day. And that's why we put a lot of emphasis on knowing the Book of Mormon is because if we can establish a few truths in the Book of Mormon, it helps all the other scriptures become alive. And like you've mentioned before, um, Isaiah really helps you understand the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon helps you understand Isaiah and back and forth. So that's uh, that's why we put such an emphasis on the Book of Mormons, and we're excited about that. And this is Nephi setting that up. He's saying, you know, if you seek these things, you will find them by the power of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, yeah. In fact, you you remind me. Um, we had uh, one of the comments uh, on the YouTube channel uh, asked. He, it, it, we were it was riffing off of Mike Goodman, where Mike had talked about, you know, this quote from Joseph Smith that a man will get nearer to God by abiding by the precepts of the Book of Mormon than by any other book. And he said, well, mm -hmm. what are precepts? And and precepts are, and what are the precepts of the Book of Mormon? Right. So uh, precepts are their 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 teachings or maxims. They're teachings about how to live. Um, and so I think that is something that we should look for if we want to draw nearer to God. 
then this year is our great opportunity. Let's look through the Book of Mormon about teachings or precepts about how to live. That's when the scriptures really become real. When right. when we find the teaching that says, oh, this is how I should live my life right now. This is what I need to do more of or less of or differently. Uh, that's that's where the rubber hits the road, right? That's the scriptures becoming real to us. Uh, so let's look for those precepts. Uh, that's that's the magic, as it were, right? Right. Okay. Even though it's not but, magical. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's great, and that's going to lead us into where we are today, which is Nephi eleven and twelve. It's actually a little more than this. We're going to talk about today's um, is about Nephi's vision, but Nephi's vision is really more than one vision. It's more of a compilation of visions or maybe an extrapolation of visions or expansions. So it's, he, first of all, Nephi hears his father speak about his vision. So it's Lehi's vision first, and he wants to know that, what, what is meant by that. And so he's, he is able to experience the same vision. And then he also gets an, either an expanded version or, or, or he does more in-depth discussion of his vision. And he has an interaction with a, with an angel who teaches him some things about that. Then he also mentions John's revelation and he says that uh, that I'm going to um, to talk about John's revelation, but it's really for him to do, to tell you about it. I'm just going to tell you a few elements of it. So Nephi's vision is long, and it it's not just here in one through say 14. It also will be referred to again in in, in uh, Nephi First Nephi 22. He'll talk about it again. Um, uh, Second Nephi, what is it? Uh, 31 and 30. Yeah, yeah. Right. So and then again it. We're going to see these same things show up in um, in parts of the the Doctrine and Covenants section 101, 10, I think 107 also has some. So Nephi's vision is a is a very broad topic that we could go on and on about for a long time. But we're going to hit a couple of highlights here and maybe get into like you mentioned before some deep dives on a couple of things and draw out a couple of principles or precepts. Like principles is to me is a very similar word. Principles. Yeah. Uh, we're going to draw a few principles, by, right? That's a precept. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to try to draw those out for days. So what can we draw from Nephi's vision that is applicable to us? And I know you're going to talk about this at, at, in another, uh, an episode also, but let's briefly talk about how, how Nephi refers to the condescension of God and why that's a unique to Nephi's vision versus the other versions of that we've heard or other prophets speak about the, you know, seeing the beginning to the end that kind of thing. Yeah. Wonderful. Let's, uh, I, I, that, uh, that's a great thing. And this is something that's kind of unique. Uh, if, if we'll talk in a minute more about how many people have seen this vision, but I think Nephi talks about that. No one else seems to talk about that. If, if Lehi did, Nephi is not telling us about it. Right. And as you said, uh, I, I think that Lehi sees the same vision, maybe a couple things that are, are, are different here or there, because Nephi asks a question that Nephi doesn't, or Lehi asks a question Nephi doesn't or something, mm -hmm. but largely the same. And you get little hints and clues of it in 10, uh, where Nephi comes, he says, okay, well, that's all I'm going to talk about my dad's vision. I'll have more. He talked to us after that about this and this and this, and he gives you a quick list and it gives you an idea. Oh, he did see about the scattering gathering of Israel and he saw other things. So you get little clues that makes me think that Lehi saw for the most part, the same things. And mm -hmm. there's really not a pause between 10 and 11. You know, we have these chapter divisions that get inserted later. Um, but the way Nephi writes it after he said the things we just read, right, that anyone who desires can see. And if you ask, you can see, and we get in verse one, I desired. And uh, verse three, I desired. 
uh, right? And and he pondered and so on. So he sees these things. But when when he asks, then the we get this vision that starts, and it seems like initially it starts that he's seeing the Holy Ghost himself. Um, mm-hmm. And then that he seems to disappear and it's an angel is what it seems like. But the question that is asked of of Nephi, um, if we were to go, I mean, he asks, what desirest thou? And we already know he desires to see what his father's seen. And then in verse 11, he says, I want to know the interpretation of what my father saw. And the angel says to look. And he see he looks and he sees Nazareth. So we've got verse uh 13. 13. Mm-hmm. He sees Nazareth and he beholds this beautiful virgin. And uh, and he's asked, what do you see? And and he said, a, a virgin, beautiful and fair above all other virgins. Then we get to verse 16. And he said unto me, knowest thou the condescension of God? We don't really have anyone else talking about this in this way. Um, and of course, uh, verse 17 is a famous verse because it's the answer that seminary teachers, students give and my students give when they don't know the answer to anything else. And it's actually a really, really powerful answer where he says, uh, I said unto him, I know that he loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. There, There is something powerful in that to say, okay, I don't get this. I don't know what's happen- happening. I don't know exactly what it means. And it doesn't matter that much because I know God loves us. So I know it's going to work out. If mm-hmm. you can, when you don't know or understand something, that's still a great answer. Like, I don't know why this is happening, but I know God loves me. So this is going to work for my good, right? That's a great answer. But yeah, fortunately for us, it doesn't end there because uh, he says, uh, it, right? He's asked, do you know the condescension of God? No. And then he answers him partially uh, to begin. With. I think he answers him fully eventually, but it's a long answer. He says, Behold, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of the Son of God after the manner of flesh. And it came to pass that I beheld she was carried away in the spirit. And after she'd been carried away in the spirit for the space of a time, the angel spake unto me and said, Look. Now, I'm going to argue that for the next while, every time the angel says, Look, he is telling us another element of the condescension of God. That that look points out, here's part of the answer to that question, what is the condescension of God? So the first time, he sees this the Mary carried away in the spirit, and then the angel says, look, and I looked, and I beheld the virgin again bearing a child in her arms. So I think there's a two-part condescension here. The first answer to what is the condescension of God, it is that God the Father, through miraculous means different than how it normally happens, through miraculous means, will have a child with a mortal so that uh, that this child will come and be mortal and immortal in its nature, right? So there's mm-hmm. a condescension of the father in having this child that is his only begotten, physically begotten son on this earth, right? But then it's also begins the condescension of God, the son, uh-huh. which is that he leaves from being Jehovah, the great, mighty, amazing Jehovah, uh, and comes down as a child in Mary's arms. And that's True. when he starts to understand um, that the the tree, you know, that in verse 22, I'll ask, you know, the meaning of the tree. And he says, it's the love of God, because he sees God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right. That's mm-hmm. that's what he's seen. But now we get again, verse 24. And after he had said these words, he said unto me, look, and I looked and I beheld the son of God going forth among the children of men. And and many had fallen down at his feet to worship him. So 
that's part of the condescension of God the Son or Christ. And all the rest of these are going to be about Christ's condescension. So first he's born in this fallen world with a, a, a mortal fallen body. Uh, and second, he is going to go around among all the other mortals and and serve them. Uh, and so that we get again to verse 26, and the angel said unto me again, look and behold the condescension of God. And I looked and beheld the Redeemer of the world, whom my father had spoken, uh, and he sees the prophet who will prepare the way before him. And the Lamb of God went forth and was baptized of him. And after that he was baptized, I beheld the heavens open, and the Holy Ghost come down and the heaven uh, out of heaven and abide upon him in the form of a dove. So one of the forms of condescension is that he will be baptized, even though he doesn't need to be baptized for remission of sins. Right. He was baptized to show the example for us. And this is where we get another interesting thing coming in that we're, we're going to see when we come back to 2 Nephi 31 and 32 on the doctrine of Christ. The doctrine of Christ is really based off of what Nephi is learning in this vision. And so uh, we see it right here, this idea of baptism and the Holy Ghost. And then we'll learn that Nephi came to understand that so that he says the example, but we don't learn that till we get to 2 Nephi 31. But the doctrine of Christ is based out of what he sees here. So one of the condescensions is baptism. We, if we go to verse 31, and he spake unto me again, saying, Look, and I looked, and I beheld the Lamb of God again going forth among the children of men, and I beheld multitudes of people who were sick and were afflicted with all manner of diseases and devils and unclean spirits. And the angel spake and showed all these things unto me, and they were healed by the power of the Lamb of God, and the devils and the unclean spirits were cast out. So we've seen already that one of the forms of condescension is that he's just among us, but another is that he's serving us. He's healing and helping. And then we get again in verse 32, look, and I be looked and beheld the Lamb of God that he was taken by the people. Yea, the Son of the everlasting God was judged of the world, and I saw and beheld and bear record. <clears throat> And I, Nephi, saw that he was lifted up upon the cross and slain for the sins of the world. That's that's the, the kind of final condescension, as it were, that Christ is uh, the very people whom he is saving and whom he is God of will crucify him. He will suffer and he will mm -hmm. die so that we can be saved. And that's kind of the final form of that condescension. And um, that's... That's a really powerful element, I think, of understanding this vision is that in some ways this vision is all about the condescension of God. And so we'll see as we go through other topics and elements, we're going to see those two themes coming in, the, the idea of condescension, but also we're going to see the doctrine of Christ kind of being taught and woven in through this. And then we're going to see it pop up again and again. The vision and doctrine of Christ say when, when in First Nephi 19 and 22 and, and in the choices of Isaiah chapters, he quotes in between there. And we're just going to see it keep popping up again and again. So I want our audience to look for this these themes of the vision and how the vision teaches about the doctrine of Christ in everything between here and Second Nephi 31. And then, of course, we'll come back to it when we do Second Nephi 31. Right. Excellent. You know, and, and I've gone through in my scriptures and underlined uh, the, the word look. It's just it's it's interesting. I, I would love to have been to see this. Maybe we'll get a chance to see this vision someday or how, how these prophets have seen it. We know that Moses had a similar type of thing. We know that uh, Abraham and all these all these great prophets, uh, Elijah, had the prophets where they see uh, the world the beginning to the end. So I don't know how this is conveyed to them, but it's as if this messenger here. Um, as he's as Nephi is seeing all these things, he highlights certain parts. 
So he's seeing yeah. all of them, but then he goes, no, look here. And then wait, a special attention here. And so he highlights the important parts uh, of the vision or parts that are very poignant. And he brings them out that about the condescension. So again, in verse 26, the angel put, look and behold the condescension of God. Well, he's already said condescension up above. And yeah. then, but it's interesting how those little points where you look and, and the, it, you don't know of any other place in scripture where you have a guided tour like this, that at least that's recorded in this way. And it says, look and see what happens here and look and, you know, and then um, Nephi later will say, uh, you know, and, and thus we see, and he'll sum up some of these things. But um, anyway, that's just really interesting. And I've gone through in my scriptures and put down, you know, underline the word look to, to highlight those parts. What, if they were important to Nephi, what's important for us to look for? And you do, you see those parts that, you know, yeah, I was born, I went among the, among the, went among the children of men, how he was judged, you know, anyway, those are, so Nephi sees all that, that's going to happen and what, what the Lord has done. That's the central mission. Again, it's the central part of the Book of Mormon is another Testament of Jesus Christ. And Nephi is starting off the beginning of it saying, Jesus Christ is going to come. He's going to do this, this great and miraculous thing, this great and marvelous work for us. And it's, and it's the beginning of the book of and you'll see it all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, Nephi's vision continues again in, in, uh, in chapter 12. And oh, first of all, we, we hear about Lehi's dream and about the, the waters and so forth and, uh, and about the tree. So Nephi starts off asking about Lehi's vision and maybe he said more about that, but we talk about the tree, but then he gets this, extra expanded version from this angel or the spirit of the Lord that says, look, and he sees the whole plan of salvation laid out, you know, in terms of Jesus Christ being born. And then in verse 12, uh, excuse me, in chapter 12, um, he gets back to, uh, back to the tree and about seeing it. And is there any, what, what highlights do you want to get to this in, in this carry that you want to point out? Well, maybe, Maybe we could do it this way, um, if it's all right. I, I like what you're talking about, like that Lehi has seen this vision and Nephi has seen this vision. And we've already talked about, we know John sees a vision that is pretty much the same vision. Um, I, I mean, probably less of the Nephite interpretation and more of other elements of it. Um, Ezekiel's vision is very similar to John's. Daniel's vision seems to be very similar, similar to Ezekiel's and John's, and thus to Nephi's and Lehi's. Um, there are all sorts of people who have seen this vision, but they'll each give it their own special emphasis according to what's going on for them. Uh, so, for example, chapter 12, in many ways, is Neph the, the Nephi, Nephi seeing what happens with his descendants and Laman and Lemuel's descendants and how that is a, uh, in on a not global scale, but a semi-global scale, uh, almost a hemispheric scale or something. But anyway, <laughs> right. um, uh, the notion of some people going to the tree and some not, right? Some right. holding to the rod and some not uh, being acted out among nations, right? Uh, right. And, and so it's it's like a fulfillment of this vision with nations, but of course that happens with people. So I, I'd say chapter 12 in many ways is that, but to me, if it's all right, I think one of the interesting things would be to kind of compare. We, we just finished the book of revelation. Uh, and I don't know if you remember the episode where we introduced it and it was, uh, Andrew Skinner and he mm -hmm. said, okay, these are the same visions. Nephi kind of focused on the, the, 
first coming and and John on the second coming. And I think there is something to that, but they both focus on some battles. Um, and uh, I've talked about this in a number of places. In fact, you can find a, a lecture I've done on this on that um, Enlightened Edge EDU website that I've started. Um, but I, I think it might be worth focusing on the way Nephi frames this battle. So John's going to talk about Armageddon, right? Uh, and uh, these these huge battles between these forces. And it, it seems like it might be a literal battle with John. I don't know if it's literal or not, but he kind of paints it that way. Nephi really doesn't, but but John paints it as if it's a literal battle, and maybe it is. Uh, but in the end, I don't know how to prepare for an Armageddon that's like that, right? That's uh, huge armies coming and clashing with each other. I'm going to let generals and heads of state prepare for that. Uh, I mean, maybe you and I prepare by... Uh, having our food storage and whatever, because we've seen uh, even in recent times that uh, wars can disrupt oh, yeah. the ability of gas, natural gas and oil and all sorts of other things. So we or want to pandemics be pandemics that in, uh, interrupt yeah. the whole supply chain. Yeah. But, yeah. Let me ask you this guy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's right. Uh, before we get to that, let me ask you a question. Give me just a, if I was to ask you for a breakdown, we hear this word Armageddon thrown around and it's become kind of a, um, uh, sort of just a, a symbol word, but yeah. break down real quick for the audience. What in in thirty seconds or so? Can you give me an uh, an explanation of what Armageddon is? Well, again, I don't know if it's a literal battle or not, but it's painted like so. It's just like when we did uh, the fall or anything like this. I would say let's not let's treat it as if it's literal, knowing that the focus isn't literal. It's on the symbolic. So. Mm -hmm. We want to learn from the symbols, and we learn the symbols best if we focus on the little, literal. So if there is a literal, then it's a huge battle that's fought in uh, seemingly in the Jezreel Valley by Mount Megiddo or Har Megiddo, which in, Megiddo, right. in, uh, you know, in Greek, there aren't H's, and they put case endings on. So Har Megiddo becomes Armageddon or Armageddon. It seems like it's this huge battle, all right? Um where literally, if it is literal, then there are these big forces that come. And this is uh, Gog and Magog seems to be the same thing in in uh, the way Ezekiel sees the vision, where you've got these forces that come and all sorts of death. And, you know, they're carrying birds that are eating the dead things and all this kind of thing. Uh, just huge destruction. But it seems to me that Nephi, he doesn't talk about it as a literal battle. He talks about it as a spiritual battle. And whether it's little or not, what I'm sure is that it is spiritual. There's no doubt it's spiritual and that we should learn from the symbolism. If it is literal, fine. Let's learn from the symbolism and apply it to a spiritual battle. And that will be Nephi's focus. Um, so that, And we can see it even right here at the end of chapter 11. At the end of chapter 11, uh, right after the part I read, so verse 33, where it said, I saw that he was lifted up upon the cross and slain for the sins of the world. Let's go to verse 34. And after he was slain, I saw the multitudes of the earth that they were gathered together to fight against the apostles of the Lamb. Right, that this is where you have the spiritual battle fight mm -hmm. beginning, right. and and there are physical elements of that, like uh, the apostles are killed. That's pretty literal and physical, right? But but mm -hmm. primarily, this is a spiritual battle, right? And then we get into verse uh, thir thirty-five, um, and the uh, no, uh, yeah. At the end of verse 35, no, sorry. Oh, yeah, verse 34 is where it said they were gathered to fight against the apostles of the Lamb. 35, and the multitude of the earth was gathered together, and I beheld they were in a large and spacious building. So that's where we get this symbol. And, and that symbol exists in 
uh, John's version as well. He'll call it the whore and all sorts of things. Right. But, um, large and spacious building, like unto the building which my father signed. The angel of the Lord said to me, uh, spake unto me again, saying, Behold the world and the wisdom thereof. So that's what the building is. It's the world's wisdom as opposed to God's wisdom. Then listen to this. This is so interesting. Yea, behold, who is it that you expect? Is, we know someone. It's. I, I'll just tell you in case you're not reading. And I want you to read, but right now don't read. Although we usually want you to just get right <laughs> in and read, but don't read this. I'm just going to tell you that he's going to talk about who gathers together to fight against the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And you're going to expect it's going to be the world, right? Because he's just been talking about the world. But look, he says, I'll read again, Behold the world and the wisdom thereof. Yea, behold. So he's actually telling us this is one of the ways that happens. But he says, Behold, the house of Israel hath gathered together to fight against the 12 apostles of the Lamb. All right, so you can start reading again. Not if you're driving. But anyway, um, <laughs> but... uh that's so interesting. It's the house of Israel that is fighting against the apostles. Now, in some ways, that happens immediately. If we're going to look at this historically, you, you remember that, like, as we read the book of Acts, that it's the Jews that are constantly fighting against uh, the apostles, right, uh, and and so on. And you even get uh, in the book of Revelation when he's uh, – you, you get uh, Rev John talking about – the synagogue, comparing the Jews to the synagogue of Satan and so on, right? So there are Israelites that will fight against the apostles of the Lamb. That's part of the, in while they're in the scattering phase, then we get to the gathering phase where there are Israelites that are uh, the ones that are the covenant people that are being helped and are doing the good. But at some point, it's, it's Israel against Israel, right? Um, but in any case, uh, verse 36, and it came to pass that I saw and bear a record that the great and spacious building was the pride of the world, and it fell. So this takes forever to get to that in the book of Revelation. Nephi just gives it to us so quickly. But then we're going to come back and see he's he, he, he he's going to tell us some of the things that happened before it falls. So he's just given us the end of the story right at the beginning. Um, it fell, and the fall thereof was exceedingly great. And the angel of the Lord spake unto me again, saying, Thus saith, or thus shall be the destruction of all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people that shall fight against the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Again, that sounds so much like the book of Revelation. You've got all the kingdoms and the beast and the dragon and all these things. They're all gathered and they're going to fight. And then Christ comes and it's over. They all fall. They're done. They're gone. Right. Um, right. And and th this is the same kind of a thing. So if we're going to think of this in terms of, of, of a spiritual battle, let's let's remember that we know how this ends. So even though we know how it ends, then in chapter 12, he gets into, well, here's stuff that happens before the ending. And he talks about the, the Nephites. Um, we've got some interesting things where the verse 9 of chapter 12, remember the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They are they who shall judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And let's remember my emphasis. I keep coming back. Judge means uh, leading, taking care of, making things right. So it's not they're going to sit there and say, oh, you were naughty. You were naughty. You're on the naughty list. You're on the nice list. They are the leaders who will make things right. And sometimes that is dispensing punishment, uh, but that punishment should be aimed at helping people come back. That's how God does it. Right. Uh, but it's it's leading to try and make things the way they should be. And then we have 12 ministers of Nephi seed who will uh, judge Nephi seed underneath the other apostles and, and so on. So we've got this, this notion that we're going to have leaders that are going to try and make things the way they're supposed to be. And that's what the battle is all about is, is eventually getting things to be the way they should be. Um, and we have language like verse 17, the myths of darkness or the temptations of the devil. And uh, 
that blindeth eyes. So I want you to stop and think this is part of the battle. If you're in a spiritual battle right now, and you are, all of us are, mm-hmm. we are in this spiritual battle. We are in spiritual Armageddon. I have no doubt of that. This is when, I mean, there's been a spiritual battle since before the world was created and it's always been going on, but we're getting to the, the peak fervor of this battle, right? Uh, yeah. The days are hastening. And so this is what is going on in the battle. There are myths of darkness that are the temptations of the devil. I, you know, I've recently been reading a little bit about uh, World War II and some of the battles in there. And sometimes those battles were the, the wrong things happened because there were fog and the planes couldn't see who were bombing. The wrong guys got bombed. Uh, right. Friendly fire happened. They, they called the fog of war. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and friendly fire happened because of that. And, and people were killed by their friends because of those myths. That's what this is talking about. There are things that are confusing members of the church that that uh, are making it so they don't see things correctly. Now, who is it that can lead us through that? Well, it's the Holy Ghost and prophets, right? Right. Um, that's right. But when we're not listening to the prophets, then we are going to end up being the people who inflict friendly fire and hurt other members of the house of Israel. Yeah, our own people. Yeah. And this can tell us exactly what they do. The mists of darkness are the temptations of the devil which blindeth the eyes and hardeneth the hearts of the children of men and leadeth them away into broad roads that they perish and are lost. That's what's happening. If we are not listening to the prophet, if we are not following the promptings that come to us as we read the scriptures and listen to the prophets, then we're going to be led away in perish and a loss. And the large and spacious building, which thy father saw is vain imaginations and the pride of the children of men. So if you are hearing things from people outside of the church that are saying, this is how it should be, this is the way you should think, this is what you should do, and it conflicts with what prophets are telling us from God, then you can be sure what you are hearing are vain imaginations and the pride of the children of men. That is the anything that is, you're hearing that makes you think like, oh, I'm not sure if what I heard in church or what I heard from these prophets is correct. I'm telling you with 100% surety, that is the vain imagination of the pride of the children of men. It's good ideas being mingled with scripture just to fool you so that it forms mists of darkness. That's the battle we're in. Yeah, if there's any two things that that are applicable, well, they're all applicable, obviously, but if there's two things that I can see realistically in my mind out of this vision, it, the the mists of darkness that you're talking about, so that, that you know, People are blinded and they, they they can't see clearly. And the jeering crowds or the masses that are yes. in this building, if you can't see that in a literal way right now, I, I don't know if you'll ever see it. It's it's so it's so much like that right now to see yeah. how um, for all the great things that the internet can do, also the internet and 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 the spotlights of the of the media cameras and everything can just absolutely um, spotlight these jeering masses that can that yes. can try to intimidate you and and confuse things i mean just i, I don't like to get into it, this this podcast is not about the the political side of things i i have other things that i can talk about other podcasts that i'll talk about political things but that's not the focus this is the focus of scriptures but if we delve in just for a minute if we can see the misinformation the disinformation they're talking about all the time that is out there in the media where you can't even say things that you know are true. They're obviously true. They're 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 yeah. verifiably true, and you can't say them because if you're afraid of someone 
the, the cancel cancel you or, or point you out on this or you know dox you for the just all these kind of things. If you can't see the great and spacious building right in your face right now, you ain't looking, man, because it's yeah. it's right there. It's right there looking at us. And then the, the exactly what you're saying this this mist that 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 blinds us. And Lehi is not when he first is there, he's not immune to the mist. He has to find his way through the mist. Yeah. And if you don't, if to, you don't have the the rod, you well, that's don't exactly get right. through the mist. And that's as soon as I say that, that makes me. It sounds to me like President Nelson saying, "If you aren't having regular revelation from the Holy Ghost, you won't survive spiritually in the last days." That's saying the exact same thing, right? Right. So, and exactly, and what leads them through, even when they can't see, when they can't see through the mist, they follow the rod. That's yeah. what they hold that rod. So stick to the scriptures. And the things that we know and hold to that rod so that you're not drifted off. Otherwise, like I said, Lehi, he's a prophet. You'd think he would be able to uh, to guide himself, but that's not what happens. He has to hold to the rod, as does everybody else. They hold to the rod, and that's how they see through. And Good. Yeah, so that's, I, just pay attention to those things. That's how people make it through. Yep, and I'm going to give a spoiler alert here for when we get to 2nd <laughs> uh -oh. 31 and, and 32. Um, because we know that the raw, the iron rod is the word of God. You could even sing a song about that, but you don't want me to sing it because that would be painful. But anyway, um, the iron rod is the word of God. And and when we hear word of God, we always think scriptures. I'm going to argue when we look carefully at 2 Nephi 31 and especially 32, that that's a limited view of it. That what Nephi is really teaching us is that the, the word of God is whatever the Holy Ghost teaches us when we hear prophets, ancient or modern. So when we read the scriptures, when we read the modern modern teachings or listen to modern teachings, modern prophets, it's what the Spirit teaches us during that time. So it's that revelation, it's the Holy Ghost that that's this theme that we've been talking about. You have to ask and then get the Holy Ghost and follow it. Um, and that's what will get you through. Again, that's the same thing President Nelson recently said. And so you are dead if you are not getting revelation that comes from listening to, to prophets, ancient and modern, and supports what prophets, ancient and modern, are having, you're in, in big trouble, right? And you, and instead, what you get, again, this phrase, the vain imaginations. Let's remember the word vain. I'm, I, we don't have the Hebrew text of the Book of Mormon, but Nephi is speaking Hebrew. I, I, I'm confident I know what words Nephi is using in this case. And the word vain means empty. Right. It doesn't Without get effect. you anywhere. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and 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 also, um, uh, so temporal, right? Like like temporary. I mean, just fleeting. Uh, that's what the imaginations of the world are. Where the, the whatever wisdom you are hearing right now, that is telling you uh, that this or that you, is wrong. You know, some of the things you were referring to or whatever else. It's fleeting. It'll be a different flavor. Five years from now, anyone who is still saying that same thing will be the ones who are being canceled, and it'll be a different thing that is the flavor of the world for the day, right? They're all empty, useless, fleeting. They don't hold anything, and it reminds me of President Nelson when he says the, the world teaches you that that what will bring you peace and, and uh, happiness is um, possessions, power, popularity, and pleasures of the flesh. But yeah, they it. cannot, they are not capable. That's the definition of vanity. The, yes. the things that are making you doubt the prophets right now, I am promising you, they will not last. They will not bring you peace or happiness, and they won't last. It's nothing. So it's a mist. So hold on to the teachings of the prophets and what the Spirit tells you to do as you listen to the prophets. Very good. Well, 
that's what I think that, that I take away. Well, there's just so many more things. I can't just sum it up all in that one thing, but there's so many things I take away from Nephi's vision and that tree of life. So it's Lehi has yeah. the vision, the tree of life, but the explanation that comes from there is so much, is so interesting to me. And I, I just love how Nephi um, gives us that guided, well, and of course the spirit of the angel that gives them the guided tour through there. And let me read something here from, this is April, 2020 from president Nelson. The talk is called hear him. Yeah. And he says about Nephi's vision, he said, we live in a day that our forefathers have awaited with ancient, with anxious expectation. We have front row seats to witness live, witness live what the prophet Nephi saw only in vision that the quote power of the lamb of God, unquote, would cease, would descend, sorry, would descend quote upon the covenant people of the Lord who were scattered upon all the face of the earth. And they were armed with righteousness and with power of God in great glory, unquote. And then he says, well, this is all in his quote, but he says, you, my brothers and sisters, are among those men, women, and children whom Nephi saw. Think of that. So, yeah, we're going to come to that verse in a minute, but sorry, keep going. No, that's that's great. I'm just, this is why this is, when we talk about the scriptures are real, we absolutely need to understand that President Nelson is telling us that this is what Nephi saw. The people that are here now are the people that Nephi saw and is talking about this. So what I said at the beginning of this, the reason why we think the Book of Mormon is so powerful is because this isn't just written to, you know, the people of, you know, Nineveh or the people of here, or the people of there. In the, this is written for your day right now, yes. this people, this time. And he says, you were the men and women uh, and children who Nephi saw. Think of that. So when you think of this, of course, it applies to all ages, but especially right now. If you can't see this, read it again. Read the ne- read Nephi's vision again and understand that this is written for you and think how you can put yourself in this position. Where are you? Are you holding on to the rod? Are you teetering on the edge? Are you lost before you found the iron rod? Are you Are you listening to the people in the building? Make that applicable to you. Where are you in your life? And then pray to get to the rod. <laughs> That's what yeah. I say. It, it kind of reminds me, uh, Lamar, of uh, a, a phrase you and I kind of accidentally stumbled upon about two years ago right now, mm-hmm. um, which is this idea that you need to commune to uh, to commute, right? Uh, and the idea is if on our co- commute to God, to, being re- to returning to be with God again, if we don't have communion with God, if we don't get information from him, we're in trouble. Well, the commute is trying to get to the tree. And the communing is the the revelation that's coming to you as you hold to the rod, right? Right. And and interestingly, um, Nephi. So we, as we said, he kind of showed us the end right at the beginning, but then he's going to get into it a little bit. So let's mm-hmm. look at some of this battle language. I think uh, that he gives us, where he gives us some details that are similar to what John's giving us, but a little bit different that are really helpful. All right. So let's go. We're now in in First Nephi thirteen, and let's go to verse five. And the angel said unto me, Behold the formation of a church, which is most abominable above all other churches, which slayeth the saints of God. All right, we're going to finish that in a minute, but let's talk about this for a second. At times, we've had people who've tried to say that's the Catholic church, or that's this church or that church. I really do not think, and I'd refer you to some uh, articles that were published in what we back then called the Enzyme mm-hmm. by Stephen Robinson. Uh, that's S-T-P-H-E-N Robinson, uh, where he goes through this and he shows it's not that a specific church it's it's groups i would argue that the church is anyone who is fighting against god and my guess is that there are members 
of our church who are really part of this great and abominable church, and there are members of other churches who are part of the Church of the Lamb of God. It's, right. it's really whether you're you're holding to the rod or whether you're in the great and spacious building is really what it is. But but listen, and this will go so much along with what we were just talking about. So again, we're in First Nephi thirteen five. Behold, the formation of a great church, which is most abominable above all other churches, which slayeth the saints of God, yea, and tortureth them, and bindeth them down, and yoketh them with a yoke of iron, and bringeth them down into captivity. Now, in some ways, that's absolutely true, and and, and in some ways, he's historically describing what happens um, soon after he sets up a church with Peter and and James and John and everybody, right? And undoubtedly, people literally were physically tortured and, and bound mm-hmm, down and, mm-hmm. and, and brought into captivity, but he's also still describing our days. So again, if you are fooled by the world, if you're if you are fooled by the people in that great and spacious building who are mocking you the way you said, or the, by the mists of darkness, what happens is you're tortured. And you're bound down and you're yoked. Right. And you're in captivity. And and in a way, spiritually, you are slain. So that just like President Nelson talked about in that talk, you're not going to find peace and happiness. That's the torture. You work so hard to find peace and happiness and rest and contentment. And instead, what you get is insatiability. The things of the world cannot be satisfied. They cannot be satiated. All those things, power, popularity, possessions, pleasures of the flesh, they cannot be satisfied. You will never be happy. Instead, you will feel tortured, bound down, and yoked. So again, if you are feeling yourself disagreeing with the prophets and being persuaded by the ideas you're hearing of the world, you're you're, you're being tortured. Yeah. And you're going to yeah. be bound down. That's where the battle is, and that's how you're going to lose, right? So we know that the the... God is going to win, and those who keep their covenants will win. The question is, what about you? You, Lamar, me, Carrie, you, Henry, in Seattle, or wherever, right? (laughs) Right. Uh, Whoever you are listening, the question is, what about you? Are you going to win or lose this battle? Are you going to be slain spiritually or or not, right? So let's let's jump down a little bit. And we'll see some of the specific ways this happened. And, and, and we're going to talk about covenants because I can't not talk about covenants, right? So, right. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Verse 23, he's talking about the Bible. Like in verse 21, knowest thou the meaning of the book, the, the book that's coming from the Jews. Verse 23, and he said, Behold, it proceedeth out of the mouth of a Jew. And I, Nephi, beheld it. And he said unto me, The book that thou beholdest is a record of the Jews. Now listen, which contains the covenants of the Lord. That's the first thing he said. The primary thing when when this angel is explaining to John what is in that record, to him, the most important thing, the primary thing, the thing you have to say first is it contains the covenants of the Lord, which he hath made unto the house of Israel. And it also containeth many of the prophecies of the Holy Prophet. So that's also important, but it's secondary, right? Mm-hmm. They're good. I'm not saying I, I love the prophets. I thank the Lord literally every single day. I thank the Lord for all those prophets who have taught us uh, and that we have their records. But the, the covenants are first, and then the, the prophecies, um, and he says, it's like the, under the engravings which are on the plates of brass, save there are not so many. Nevertheless, they contain the covenants of the Lord, which he hath made unto the house of Israel, wherefore they are of great worth unto the Gentiles. These covenants are so important. They're important for Israel and the Gentiles. And then he tells us, when it proceeds forth out of the mouth of the Jew, there's the fullness of the gospel in it, and the twelve apostles bearing record according to that which is in the Lamb, and comes forth in purity, and it goes forth by the hand of the twelve. 
But so verse 26, and they see after they go forth by the hand of the 12 apostles of the lamb from the Jews unto the Gentiles, thou seest the formation of that great and abominable church, which is most abominable above all other churches. For behold, they have taken away from the gospel of the lamb many parts which are plain and most precious. And also many covenants of the Lord have they taken away. All right. So this is what part of uh, what Stephen Robinson will use to argue that um, this isn't the Catholic Church, because this kind of stuff is happening before the Catholic Church is even formed, before that such an entity exists. Right. 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 There are people who are taken away, but know what they've taken away. Hearts which are plain and precious and the covenants. So elements of the covenant are gone and. Plain and precious things are gone. I don't know what all that refers to. There's one I'm fa fairly confident because if I compare the covenant the way it's revealed in Restoration Scripture and the way it's revealed, say, in the Old Testament, uh, the, it's fairly similar. The The big difference is the the obligation to share the covenant. That's not in the Old Testament. Right. You see hints of the fact that it was. A little hint here, a little hint here, there. But it's really clear in the book of Abraham um, when it has a parallel a version in the book of Abraham is really clear. You've got to share the covenant. You've got to share the gospel and, and the ordinances that, that do that and so on. All right. In any case, so parts of the covenant are taken away and plenty of precious things. Verse 27, and all this have they done that they might pervert the right ways of the Lord. So this is their tactic. It's the misinformation tactic. It's the faint, as it were, in battle, right? We're going to make you think we're attacking here, but we're really attacking here. We'll get, we'll get you confused and so on. And that's exactly right. It says that they might blind the eyes and harden the hearts of the children of men. Wherefore, thou seest after the book hath gone forth through the hands of the great and abominable church, that there are many plain and precious things taken from the book. And I would argue that when it starts to talk about plain and precious things, that's a way of talking about both truths and covenants, which is a truth. But anyway, mm -hmm. teachings of prophets and covenants combined as precious things being taken away. And from then on, it's going to keep talking about plain and precious things being gone. Um, and I think it's referring to both covenants and uh, other teachings. So I want to move on to a, another part of this battle, but did you have anything you wanted to kind of? Uh, no, I'm going to jump to verse 37. But no, no, go go ahead. That's I think you're on the right track. Okay, so this is where he's right. We're going to jump to. I mean, this is all about that battle, but we're going to jump to the part that we need to play. Okay, so verse 37, and blessed are they who shall seek to bring forth my Zion at that day, meaning in the last day, in our mm -hmm. day. Our so day. if we want to be on the right side of this battle. We need to be seeking to bring forth Zion, and, and Nephi is going to make it plain in lots of places. That means forget about yourself and just try to establish Zion. If you're doing it for your own good, your own cause, to build yourself up, that's a problem. Establish, do this so that you can establish Zion and, and God's kingdom, all right? So they who seek to, to bring forth Zion at that day, for they shall have, what? The gift and power of the Holy Ghost. That's what we need again, Right. And right. look how this, and you can tell this is exactly what Nephi is going to talk about when he does the doctrine of Christ. They shall have the gift and the power of the Holy Ghost. And if they endure to the end, this is why he's going to have that endure to the end language in uh, the doctrine of Christ, because he's learning the doctrine of Christ in this vision. So if they endure to the end, how do you endure to the end? By having the gift and power of the Holy Ghost. So we'll come back to that when we do 2 Nephi 31 and 32. They shall be lifted up at the last day and shall be saved in the everlasting kingdom of the Lamb. That's what we're talking about if we're going to talk about battles. We want to be saved. We've got to be lifted up uh, and so on, right? So what do we need to do? Well, we need to seek to bring forth Zion, not the causes of the world, the things that the world is encouraging us to do. We would not be blinded by the world. Seek to bring forth Zion by doing what the Holy Ghost teaches you as you read the scriptures and as you listen to modern right. prophets, which we keep saying, right? Well, let's jump forward to chapter 14. 
Um, verse one, he's going to talk about how if the Gentiles will hearken unto the Lamb, then their uh, stumbling blocks are taken away. Basically, they can be part of the, the covenant people. Uh, one of the key things Nephi learns this vision that we'll end up seeing a number of times in First and Second Nephi is that, that a key element of the covenant for Nephi is you have to accept Christ. That's another thing that's in the covenant that's not apparent in the Old Testament. If you don't accept Christ, you're you're not really part of the covenant. Now, it makes sense if you know that Jehovah and Christ are the same person because in the Old Testament, you have to accept Jehovah if you're going to be right, uh, right. part of the covenant. Right. Anyway, verse 2. If they harden not their hearts against the Lamb of God, they shall be numbered among the seed of thy father. So Gentiles can be Lehites, basically. Mm -hmm. And they shall be numbered among the house of Israel, and they shall be a blessed people upon the promised land forever, and they shall be no more brought down into captivity, and the house of Israel shall no more be confounded. So this is how we win the battle, right, is, is to accept Christ. And that great pit which hath been digged for them by that great and abominable church, which was founded by the devil and his children, that he might lead away the souls of men down to hell. Yea, that great pit which hath been digged for the destruction of men shall be filled by those who digged it. Under their utter destruction, saith the Lamb of God, not the destruction of the soul, save it be the casting into that hell which hath no end. Now, this is language. Nephi is going to pick up on this, and the first Isaiah chapters he's going to quote are going to have language that is similar to this. Mormon's going to pick up on it so that when he's even describing the battles with Captain Moroni. He's going to use this language. Well, they they had these pits and they filled it up with their own bodies and so on. He's there. They keep drawing on this language, the idea that if you're following the world, you end up falling prey to your own bad things, right? Um, right. And and you're you're the pit uh, and you fill the pit. Um, now, let's let's keep uh, moving. Verse five. And it shall come to pass the angel, and it came to pass that the angel spake unto me, Nephi, saying, Thou hast beheld that if the Gentiles repent, it shall be well with them. And thou also knowest concerning the covenants of the Lord under the house of Israel. And thou hast also heard that those uh, that whoso repenteth not must perish. So we've we've got those things established. Um, verse seven: For the time cometh, saith the Lamb of God, that I will work a great and a marvelous work among the children of men. And, and we know that at least a major part of the fulfillment of that is the coming forth of the Book of Mormon and right. the opportunity to become part of the covenant by mm -hmm. baptism or not. A work which shall be everlasting, either on the one hand or the other, either to the convincing of them unto the, um, sorry, I lost my place, unto peace and life eternal, or under the deliverance of them under the hardness of their hearts. So this is Nephi's theme again. The Spirit's going to bear witness to you. Are you going to ask and follow the Spirit or not ask uh, and not follow the Spirit or even ask but then not follow the Spirit? Those are your two choices, same choices we see Laman and Lemuel and Nephi and Sam have and so on and so on, right? Mm -hmm. That's where the battle's fought. Verse 8, and it came to pass that when the angel had spoken these words, he said unto me, rememberest thou the covenants of the Father unto the house of Israel? Nephi says, yeah, I remember that. I, I, I never right. forget that. Anyway, 9, and it came to pass that he said unto me, look. And behold, that great and abominable church, which is the mother of abominations, whose founder is the devil. And he said unto me, behold, there are saved two churches only. That, that's that part that we've talked about before, uh, where you've got the church of the lamb and the church of the devil. I want to jump down to verse 12. And it came to pass that I beheld the church of the lamb of God. And this is where we're going to get this language that you were quoting, President Nelson quoting. Mm -hmm. I beheld the church of the lamb of God, and its numbers were few because of the wickedness and abominations of the whore who sat upon many waters. Nevertheless, I beheld that the church of the Lamb, uh, who were the saints of God, were also upon all the face of the earth, and their dominions upon the face of the earth were small because of the wickedness of the great whore whom I saw. And this is language that's so similar to John, but, but Nephi right. is describing it purely spiritually. 
And it came to pass that I beheld the great mother of abominations to gather together multitudes upon the face of all the earth among all the nations of the Gentiles to fight against the Lamb of God. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the power of the Lamb of God that had descended upon the saints of the church of the Lamb and upon the covenant people of the Lord. So that's us who were scattered upon all the face of the earth. And they were armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. And it, uh, and it came to pass that I beheld that the wrath of God was poured out upon the great and abominable church insomuch that there were wars and rumors of wars among all nations and kindreds and so on. But in the end, we know that the saints win because they are part of the Lamb of God and they are armed with the power of God in great glory. That's the choice that that we have, right? And so maybe I can't tie this together in this idea of, of battles, and and you can get a more detailed version of this in that that lecture I do on on the great battles of the last days. It's on my and uh, Enlightened uh, Edge EDU site, but. Uh, one of the things I argue there is that if we're going to understand this, I mean, this is Nephi talking about spiritual Armageddon. And as we said, John is talking about maybe literal, but certainly spiritual Armageddon. But what he uses is Har-Megiddo or the city of Megiddo as the mm -hmm. focal point of that. And the key to Megiddo, the reason it's such an important city where so many battles have been fought and so on, is because it controls the uh, a key part of the trade routes or the military routes between three continents. And it seems to me that a lesson we need to learn from that is we better control our spiritual trade routes. So what we need to do is let in the Holy Ghost, let in the word of God mm -hmm. and shut the gate and keep out the mists of darkness or the, the ideas of the world. If we are letting the ideas of the world in, oh man, we're in trouble. It, because what happens is if we let them in, then there's no room for the Holy Ghost. Remember when right. President Nelson said, make more time for Christ. Well, part of making more time for Christ is you have to have less time for other things, right? We only have 24 hours in a day, so that's how it works. Um, so uh, we have to control those spiritual trade routes. What are you going to let in your home? What are you going to let in your brain? I heard uh, uh, in our state conference uh, about eight months ago, um, the, the wife of uh, Elder Huntsman was, so Sister Huntsman was speaking. I wish I could remember her first name, but I don't. But she was talking about something she heard while she was listening to a podcast with her earbuds. So this is, in a way, I hope self-promotion. I hope we're the good guys in this. But anyway, she said, you know, I'm very careful about what I, uh, what I let into my brain or what I give access to my earbuds. <laughs> and I'm only trying yeah. to listen to positive, good things now. That's controlling your spiritual trade routes. Do less of listening to the junky garbage, whatever that stirs you up, makes you mad, of stupid things that have just bring you down or bring negative things or have, you know, sexual innuendo or violence or whatever, you know, sure. you know, all this stuff, have less of that stuff and more and more and more giving access to your brain uh, more and more and more of the spiritual things that invite the spirit so that the Holy Ghost can guide you. That's how you win your personal spiritual Armageddon is by controlling your spiritual trade routes, keeping out the bad and bringing in the Holy Ghost in a flood of light, just flooding yourself, your life, your mind, your soul, your brain, everything with the Holy Ghost. And I hope that our podcast can be a small part of that, but I hope the scriptures sure. and all sorts of other things that the teachings of prophets that invite the Holy Ghost should be the primary thing. I totally agree. And you you summed it up so well there. I, I think maybe let's just leave it there. Uh, we're at the end of Nephi's vision. And um, and I think that that's a great way to, to sum that all up, is to make less time for the world, the worldly things, the fog that gets in your way, 
and make more time for that. And it starts by reading the scriptures. Just get in there and read this. And, and when you go through, hopefully our podcast, you say it all the time, and I, I want to echo that. We're not a replacement for reading the scriptures. We're, no. Hopefully we're, we just are, are something that gets you excited about reading it or makes you look at it in a, a different way. And as, even as I'm looking at it now, I, I read this before we were going to do this podcast. I've read it many, many times before. But as you're doing it again, I'm like, oh, man, that's such a good way. I, I like the way he phrases this. So I hope that we're a kickoff for that that helps you get back in there. Read Nephi, First Nephi uh, 11 through 14. Get into the vision and apply it to yourself. How can I do that? What can I spend more time doing that gives less time for the enemy to to invade my borders or to, to cloud my vision with these with these things and again that uh that talk i spoke about with uh, president nelson that's yeah. hear him from the april 2020 yeah it's called hear him from april 2020 uh general conference so go look up that again he talks about yes. that he talks about the same the same war that you're the same battle you're talking about i just read one little section from it but he talks about the same battle. So go read that and read other things that President Nelson has said about, about the Book of Mormon, about this thing that's happening now. There's a, a guy that, um, his name is Ricky Jarvis, and he did a really good thing on his podcast, Light and Truth. He went through um, Nephi's vision, part, fantastic breakdown. He mentions President Nelson's talk in there as well. Really great stuff. And spend more time researching those things and just lock out the world. And let's, let's, uh, let's do that. So you mentioned two things. There's an Armageddon that's going to happen that most of the Christian world understands as a, as a world war or a, a global conflict. There's that, but there's also yeah, the and, Armageddon. And maybe, that I don't even know if that's yeah, literal or not. It, yeah. it could be literal. It could be done in parts or whatever. That's a, that's one thing that we understand. But the spiritual Armageddon that you're talking about is the battle within ourselves all the time. And as we'll see later on in the Book of Mormon, if you can win that win that battle or at least invite Christ in or you know hold on the iron rod, you can keep out the other stuff, even if we stumble and trip here and there. We still can hold on to that rod and get to the tree if we're being diligent about that. So, well, Carrie, look, we're Amen. out of time, but it's been great being with you. And I, I hope that our audience has gained something out of this. Feel free to comment uh, down below um, and ask questions if you need to, or, or you'd like to ask a question or add a, add a positive comment. That'd be nice and helpful. Give us a, a good rating so that we can help share this with other people. And uh, we hope that you are enjoying your, your trip to the Book Mormon as we are this year. And we'll look forward to seeing you again on The Scriptures Are Real. Yeah, and, and maybe, oh, sorry, yeah. I, I just no, want no, to encourage ahead. everyone for next week, uh, we're going to have Andrew Skinner. Oh, yes. We're going to have uh, Natalie Hunsaker. Um, and we may uh, be able to have Ken Brown on. I'm still working that out. Um, but I think we've got a great lineup for next week as well. So uh, all sorts of great stuff to look forward to and do. Yeah, we got a lot of things, and I like what you're doing with uh, some of the other uh, the other contributors and podcasters. Uh, I'm excited to see what else uh, comes about. So, all right, Kerry, we'll see you next time. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. And this week, instead of having a sponsor, uh, because I, I want to uh, let people know about this, but I don't know that the church wants to sponsor me, So uh, because they don't sponsor any outside podcasts, they sponsor themselves. But uh, they have asked us to uh, just spread the word. Uh, about a new tool that's available. It's called uh, Topics and Questions. Uh, it's available on the church's website, churchofjesuschrist.org, and you can go to Life uh, and then Church and Gospel Questions. Uh, and this is kind of like the, uh, the Gospel Topic Essays and more. Um, so it's called Church and Gospel Questions. There are a lot of places you can click on here. If you go down, uh, you can scroll down there and you'll find help helping others with questions. There's things about responding with love or listening with humility and 
trusting in the Lord and nourishing your own faith and assisting people in their journey. There's another section about seeking answers to questions and centering your life on Christ and being patient with yourself and others, recognizing revelation as a process, working to understand the past and consulting reliable sources, um, uh, all sorts of things in there. And as you click through this, you can find talks, you can find the, um, the uh, what we used to call, and I think they still might be the uh, you know gospel topic essays and so on. Um, but this is in the gospel library, and I think you'll find it to be really helpful. Uh, I'd encourage you to explore it and, and check it out, and I'll try and remember to drop that into the show notes, a link into there as well. <laughs>